Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Yeah. 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 Episode 323 of the podcast of Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 24th, 2020, people. I hope everybody is having a great day. And I hope everybody is having a great week. A uh, little bit of a contentious show on Monday with the Dabo stuff and the Bruce Pearl stuff, but it is a big. It is a holiday week, so first of all, I want to spread spread some holiday cheer. I hope everybody is going to have fun over the course of this holiday week. Do fun stuff. Be with your family. Have a good time responsibly, of course. But then it's also a big week in the sports world as College Hoops tips off on Wednesday. And so what I'm going to do is basically this entire show is going to be all College Hoops. We're going to lead off. I'm going to do a short segment here off the top, just kind of recapping all the major conferences, all the major storylines, what you may have forgotten from last year, what you need to know heading into this year. And then from there, we're going to transition to a big picture conversation with probably my favorite College Hoops guest, Rob Douster, formerly of NBC Sports. He now owns a very popular college basketball podcast network called the Field of 68 Podcast Networks. He's got a Kentucky podcast, a North Carolina podcast, an Indiana podcast. And uh, and yeah, so we're going to talk with Rob. The way I figure it is, I'll give you the background so that when Rob comes on and we nerd out about Tennessee, about Kentucky, about Villanova, about Texas Tech, you have a little bit of background. And then I will return on the back end and I will give my predictions for the season. Basically, I'll give you my final four in my national championship. We'll wrap it up and get out of here. A lot of college hoops today. Uh, no college football on Wednesday's show. There will be a Thursday morning show. We will talk a little bit of the college football weekend ahead. I will also recap the first full day of college basketball on Wednesday. So you are still getting a Thursday show Thanksgiving morning. Before we get started, just a quick reminder, just quick. Please make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, make sure you're subscribed on the Podcast Addict app. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Make sure to rate and review the show. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Quick rating, quick review. Let me know where you listen, how you listen, all that good stuff. Uh, finally, uh, make sure you're following on all the social media accounts at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Lots of good stuff goes up on the Aaron Torres Pod Instagram page, including, by the way, my national championship picks, my All-American picks this week. So make sure you find me on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod. Uh, and finally... Any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. It is going to be a long show because Rob Douster is joining me. So, with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's jump into it because, again, 
I want to get into college basketball, and look, it's a surreal time for the sport. I think anybody who follows this sport at all, who cares at all about this sport, realizes it's pretty uncharted territory, right? And as we enter the season, it is extra chaotic because of what is going on in our country. And I spent so much time talking about it with Dabo Sweeney and all that stuff on on Monday's episode. I'm not going to repeat it here, but for people who have not seen it, it's craziness in the streets. Scott Drew tests positive. Baylor has to pull out of their event to start the season. Rick Barnes tests positive. Uh, both of them are friends of this show. Obviously, I just had Coach Barnes on a few weeks ago. Do hope both are safe. Do hope both can get healthy. But the bottom line is this. While everyone else in college hoops media is freaking out and oh my god this game got canceled and this game is that and the here's the deal. We've learned from every other sport in the landscape that it is chaos heading in to the weeks of the the start of a season, right? It was craziness at the beginning of Major League Baseball. We got through Major League Baseball. It was craziness at the beginning of college football. We got through college football. Same with the NFL. The NBA, never forget, there was a guy that left the bubble to go get chicken wings at a strip club. Um, And so to me, I just look at college basketball. Listen, eventually it will pass. Eventually we will get games going. Some games will be postponed. Some games will be canceled. That is the nature of this season. But I am not going to speculate on the negative because instead I do want to focus on the positive. And the positive is this. We're getting season. We are getting games. And there is so much to get into. So this is what we're going to do. As I said a minute ago, we are going to break down each conference, just give you a quick reminder of what happened last year, and then really what you need to know going forward. Listen, you guys know I'm the college hoops guru, uh, college football too, no big deal, NFL, NBA, whatever, Uh, but I am the college hoops guru. I understand you can't keep track of 360 teams. Frankly, neither can I, so we'll focus on the major conferences, ACC, SEC, etc. We'll get to Rob Dow, so I'll get my picks on the back end. Let's start with the ACC, Uh, and for people who forgot, kind of a weird, bizarre year for the ACC, where frankly, there were only four really good teams. Florida State was really good, Duke was really good, Louisville was really good, and Virginia actually came on late. Never forget, started the season 12-6, and and ended up winning, I think it was 11 of their last 12, and were the proverbial team that no one would have wanted to play had there been an ACC tournament. And then on the back end in the ACC, uh, did you see the bottom of the standings? There were two teams tied for last. One was Wake Forest. They fired their coach. The other one, University of North Carolina. Remember that? Historically bad season. Tied for last place. Cole Anthony is hurt. Well, the good news is for North Carolina, they are not going to be back at the bottom of the basement this year. And so let's get into this season because the team to beat, in my opinion, is Virginia. They do bring back the big core of last year's team that got hot late. A lot of guys that played on that national championship team in 2019. And they also add Sam Hauser, a transfer who averaged 15 points per game at Marquette. And so when you look at Virginia, what it says to me is this team that's always great on defense is a year older, a year more experienced, and should be pretty good on the offensive side of the ball with Sam Hauser. Not saying they're great, not saying they're Gonzaga, they're going to score 75 points a game, 80 points a game, but they should be better on offense. They should be a little bit more watchable, but they are the team to beat in my mind. 
Duke actually probably lost the most of anybody, although Florida State's in that competition. Trey Jones was ACC Player of the Year. Vernon Carey uh, gets drafted. Cassius Stanley, I believe, got drafted. Can't really remember, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but they lose their top three guys. They bring in an interesting recruiting class that has a lot of good players, but outside of one freshman named Jalen Johnson, I don't know that there's any superstar-type difference makers on that roster. I do like some of their returnees. Matt Hurt, I know we make fun of him. If you've seen him, you know why he's a skinny, tall, lanky kid. But he did average over double figures last year. And so I think with him back, Wendell Moore, who's a former five-star recruit, I do think they'll be good. Ironically, Duke has the same issue that North Carolina and Kentucky both have, which is a freshman point guard. How does he handle himself at Duke? Beyond uh, Duke, uh, beyond Virginia, Florida State. Same deal as Duke, lost two guys to the NBA draft, Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, both in the lottery. But I am just telling you right now, they are the defending ACC champ. I know some people in Tallahassee, they think they're better than they're being given credit for. Name to know, five-star freshman Scotty Barnes. They're always going to do what Leonard Hamilton does, which is play a deep, balanced roster. That's how a Patrick Williams can get drafted in the lottery without starting at Florida State. They believe they are better than they're being given credit for. I think they're for sure a tournament team. Also think Louisville is for sure a tournament team. Uh, this is not a vintage Louisville team. I will say that I think they're probably being a little bit underrated coming into the season. They have two awesome sophomores named David Johnson, Sam, Samuel Williamson. Those are the guys to know. Problem for Louisville, their best big guy, Malik Williams, did get hurt. But I still think they're a good team. I think they'll be competitive. I don't think they're in that top four, top five, top six range. But I do think that they will be better than maybe they're being given credit for. And I don't know if they're flying under the radar. I don't know if they're properly rated. But North Carolina... I think they get back on track, as I just said with Duke. They do have a freshman point guard named Caleb Love, and so the big thing for them is getting him acclimated, getting him to do what they want him to do, but they are massive down low. I don't even think there's a debate. They have the best front line in the country, the most big guys. Uh, Garrison Brooks returning for UNC, Armando Baycott returning for UNC, and then two five-star McDonald's All-American freshmen, Walker Kessler, Dayron Sharp. Uh, outside of the rest of the, the, the ACC, I do think it's deeper this year. I think Miami could be a tournament team. Georgia Tech, I've been hyping up Georgia Tech since Josh Pastner came on this show. I think they can be a tournament team. One weird thing with Georgia Tech, they're actually doing contactless practices this year, which basically means that they are not scrimmaging five on five. I actually think that could have hurt them because uh, I think they're crazy, and I think it's going to be a disadvantage when they actually start games. I've actually talked to coaches that are like, dude, I'd rather have a COVID outbreak than not scrimmage because we're not going to be ready to go game one. So that's something interesting to think about with Georgia Tech. Beyond them, uh, Syracuse should be good, but Syracuse will do the thing where they win some games, they lose some games, end up on the bubble. I mentioned Miami. Those are, in my mind, the teams that you need to know. Uh, beyond that, let's go to the Big East. Uh, the Big East has, uh, for last season, let's start with last season, Three teams finish atop the standings, and I think all three in theory could have made the Final Four. Villanova, as they always are, was really competitive. Creighton had maybe the best season in school history, and Seton Hall had its best season in probably 30-plus years. What makes it interesting, all three of those teams lost their best players from last year's team. Creighton, their leading scorer, Tyshawn uh, Alexander, went pro. Uh, Villanova, Sadiq Bey was a top-20 pick, 
and Seton Hall, Miles Powell, obviously. Big East also lost Marcus Howard, who is a high-volume scorer at Marquette. But I think it's a good league overall. We'll start with Villanova because they are my preseason number one. Don't want to spoil it if I'm actually picking them to win the national championship. But this is a typical Jay Wright team. Older dudes, veterans, talent. And even though they did lose their best player, Sadiq Bey, they have four guys back who averaged double figures last year. They have some nice depth with uh, some guys like Cole Swider, who's a wing player, Caleb Daniels, who's a sit-out. They did have some unfortunate news as what was believed to be their sixth man, Brian Antoine, a former McDonald's All-American, has what appears to be a pretty serious shoulder injury, and so we don't know his status, but Villanova will still be 6-7 deep, and they're going to do what Villanova does, shoot a bunch of threes, score, uh, pump fake, pivot. They're just, they're just Villanova. They're very well coached. They're very veteran. They carry themselves well, and there's a reason I have them as the number one team in the country. Country with, as I said, four starters returning who all average double figures. Also in this league, I think Creighton's going to be really good again. They did lose their best player in Tyshawn Alexander, but four other starters back. The name to know here is Marcus Zagorowski. He's their point guard, 16 points a game, five assists per game. He was actually the guy that made them go, and I would argue was more important than Tyshawn Alexander. Little bit of a bummer. He did tear up his knee. I don't want to say tear up. He had a meniscus injury on the final day of the regular season last year. It's unknown if he would have even played in the NCAA tournament. Actually, I can just say it. Had there been an NCAA tournament, he wouldn't have been able to play. But he is back and surrounded by a bunch of really good three-point shooters. Uh, Mitch Ballack, uh, Denzel Mahoney, who was kind of a 4-5 guy for them. There's a kid named Damian Jefferson who's pretty good. They, too, dealing with some injuries in the preseason, had two freshmen out for season-ending injuries. I do believe they would have been role players at best. So as long as the rest of the core can stay healthy, I do think they'll be fine. New addition to the Big East this year. How about my UConn Huskies? And look, I'm just telling you, maybe it's a little bit of UConn bias. For people who do not know, new to the show, I did go to UConn. This is their best team since the 2014 season. And what I'll say about UConn, um, they won eight of their last 10 last year, and I believe their last five of the regular season. They're a team that I think weirdly, and nobody would ever say it publicly, I think they benefited from the NCAA tournament and their conference tournament getting canceled because they were playing well at the end of the year. They beat the best teams in the conference, Houston and Memphis down the stretch. And if they go to the conference tournament, I think there's a good chance they make a run, they get the automatic bid, and their best player, James Booknight, might end up going pro. James Booknight is maybe the best NBA draft prospect in this conference. He is a guy I've talked to multiple NBA people over the course of the summer that say he has a potential to be a lottery pick, right? We spend so much time focusing on the freshmen in college basketball, and we will again this year, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, etc., that we lose track of the guys that are going into their sophomore years that are going to be really good. We saw a bunch of them last year, whether it was Emmanuel Quickly, whether it was whoever, uh, and they believe James Booknight is going to be that type of player. But in a credit to Dan Hurley, who for the record, UConn fans, I've been trying for years to get on this podcast, uh, and for whatever reason it hasn't happened, not criticizing anybody, just the nature of the beast. Uh, Dan Hurley, I believe, has completely rebuilt this roster. Uh, two great transfers, RJ Cole, who averaged 20 points a game at Howard a few years ago, and Tyrese Martin, who I believe will be a difference maker in the Big Big East, excuse me, I was going to say Big Ten. Big East, I would add they also bring in a top 20 recruiting class. Name to know there is Andre Jackson. But I'll tell you this, 
Dan Hurley has said it since he got to UConn. When, this, when he took over this roster, it did not look like what UConn should look like, what it looked like historically, what it looked like when I was there, when Rudy Gay and Charlie Villanueva and Josh Boone and all those guys were there, A.J. Price, Jeff Adrian, uh, and Dan Hurley, I believe, for the first time, feels like this looks what a UConn roster should look like. Also, two guys coming off injury there, Tyler Polly and Akuka Cook. But I do believe this is an NCAA tournament team, and I think they're going to build for the future. And as a Husky alum, I am really excited to see what they got going forward. To wrap up on the rest of the Big East, Seton Hall, really interesting without Miles Powell. They have a bunch of really nice pieces around him, including the kid Sandro Mamakilisvili. Don't know how to say the name. I apologize. I'm a terrible human being. Whatever. Get over it. Uh, probably the best big man in that league. Uh, he's awesome. I think he's an NBA draft prospect. I think he'll be a second rounder next year. The big question for Seton Hall, they don't really have a point guard. They had a kid named Quincy McKnight last year who was really awesome and probably a little bit underrated considering uh, that he was playing in Miles Powell's shadow. They have a transfer this year named Bryce Aiken, but he's more of a scorer than a true point, and I do wonder uh, if they'll be able to transition seamlessly. Rest of the Big East, Marquette does lose Marcus Howard, as I said, but... I think they could be more balanced. They got a kid named Kobe McEwen. They got DJ Carton, the Ohio State transfer. And the only McDonald's All-American in the conference is Marquette's Dawson Garcia. I think they'll be really good. I think Providence will be a bubble team, but do think they maybe lost too much. And then the rest of the league is just a mess. Uh, I'm not in on Butler. I'm uh, out on DePaul. Shout out to Dwayne Peavy, friend of mine, who's now the AD there, formerly at Kentucky. Uh, St. John's, I don't buy. And Georgetown is just abysmal. All right, let's move on to the big, uh, let's do the Big 12. We'll start with the Big 12 and then get to the Big 10. Uh, in the Big 12, recap of last year, you could argue the two best teams in the country all year were in the Big 12. Kansas finishes number one in the country. Uh, Devon Dotson and Adoka Azabuke are both, both All-Americans. And Baylor was also at the top. This is the craziest stat that nobody talks about with Baylor. Baylor went from November 8th until February 22nd without losing a single game. That is absurd. Like, that is insane. And so when I look at Baylor, uh, I think they were just so underappreciated last year. And what's good about them, we'll start with them, with this year, is they return mostly intact. Their best player, Jared Butler, spoiler alert, he's my preseason national player of the year. Um, he is a guy that can do it all. Uh, Scott Drew actually told me over the summer he he's a junior, but he just turned 20, and Scott Drew said he came back more athletic, stronger, and he's still a guy that's growing into his body, right? We usually think about freshmen as guys that are growing into their bodies. Uh, this kid is a junior growing into his body, and he believes can be even better. They have great shooting around him with Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague. My concern with Baylor... They had a big guy down low named Freddie Gillespie who was an underrated shot blocker, rim protector, and he's gone. And the big guy who was supposed to replace him, his name was uh, Tristan Clark, excuse me, he just went down with a knee injury. He actually had to medically retire from basketball because of knee injuries. And so because of it, I just worry about do they have that rim protector, great guards on the perimeter, but you do need some kind of inside presence. And outside of a kid named Mark Vital, who's kind of a big, tough bruiser, I'm just not sure that Baylor has that guy. Still really good. Deserve to be a top five team, but I do think they are missing him. 
Obviously, I'm sure you guys have all heard by now, but Baylor, of course, is not playing this opening weekend after Scott Drew tested positive for COVID. Kansas, I mentioned, last year was the year. You know how I know? Because Bill Self has said it. Bill Self basically said he wanted to put up a banner commemorating that team, even though they couldn't compete for a national championship. Um, but it'll be an interesting couple years, right? This, this FBI thing is continuing to go on at Kansas. They haven't recruited at that elite level. But Bill Self's a really good coach, and like I criticize him for a lot of stuff, but Bill Self is a really good coach, and they have a lot of really talented perimeter players, and they're going to look different. They've traditionally played two big guys down low. Last year, they kind of just went with one. It worked really well, and I think they expect to do the same this year. Uh, Noah Azabuke down low. David McCormick is the guy. And then a bunch of really good guards on the perimeter. Ochai Abaji, uh, Marcus Garrett, who's maybe the best perimeter defender in college basketball. Christian Braun. Really interesting team. And we will find out very quickly how good Kansas is. They play Gonzaga on Thanksgiving Day. And they play Kentucky, I believe, in the Champions Classic, if memory serves me correct. Uh, I guess it would be next Tuesday in Indianapolis. Wrapping up on the Big 12. First of all, not even wrapping up. How about them West Virginia Mountaineers? Take me home, country roads. Bob Huggins, I will just tell you this. He said on John Rothstein's podcast that he believed this was his best team since the 2010 Final Four team, and he sees it every day. They got those two big guys down low, Oscar Shibway, Derek Culver. The problem with them last year, they were great on the boards, great at second-chance points, but couldn't shoot and couldn't score. And so to me, I love betting them. Just so you know, West Virginia is my favorite bet all year, every year, because they just beat the crap out of people. Uh, but we need to see if they can score before I call them a national championship contender. But if they can get more scoring, I think they're a team that can be playing on the final weekend of the regular season. Or excuse me, the final weekend of the season, which of course would be the final four. Uh, in the Big 12, also, another team that really intrigues me, and Rob Dowster and I will talk about this momentarily, is Texas Tech. Texas Tech, remember, Chris Beard, he's the defensive guru, came up under Bob Knight, and he loves these long, athletic, switchable guys, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'8", 6'9", and the whole roster is basically that. So I love this team. Their best player returning is named Kyler Edwards. They also have... Um, they also have a kid named TJ Shannon, kind of in the same vein as James Booknight, a kid that NBA people like, but is maybe being a little bit overlooked. Uh, they have a kid named Jolin Tomboy, who I've mentioned a few times, is the brother of Jonathan Kaminga, one of the top recruits in last year's class. Uh, they also have Kevin McCuller. Talk to Chris Beard a little bit this summer. Kevin McCuller, he said, was one of the best stories in college basketball. Really had been hurt two years in a row and was just getting back into form as the season ended last year. But I just like him. They also have Mac McClung, by the way. Maybe heard of him, Georgetown, whatever. I just like him because the whole roster is between 6'4 and 6'8, switchable, and they're just going to suffocate teams on defense. I don't know if they'll be great on opening night, but I will say I think they're going to be really good towards the end of the season. Uh, wrapping up in the Big 12, look, Texas, we know the deal. Shaka Smart, you got to do it. I truly believe if there had been no pandemic, I don't think Shaka Smart is back this year. Remember, it took three weeks after the season ended for Texas to announce that Shaka Smart was coming back. And to me, what that means is they called around and they weren't convinced that anybody would take the job mid-pandemic. This is the year for Texas. Top 12 scores are back from last year. 
Greg Brown, the five-star recruit who was uh, uh, down to basically Kentucky, Memphis, and Texas, is at Texas. He's from right down the road in Austin. And you got to get it done. I mean, you got to get done, Shaka. Not only is this a team that needs to make the NCAA tournament, they should be right around the top 25 all year and should do damage and win games once they get there. Wrapping up on the Big 12, Oklahoma, same deal as every year. Lon Kruger, Mr. Even Steven, uh, ne- never high, never low. Like, they're just they're going to be in the tournament. Like, just mark them in. They've, they, they're in every year. And Oklahoma State's really interesting. You know, Cade Cunningham, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, is there. Uh, great kid. And I believe he'll elevate that program. I just think it's a question of whether they actually get into the NCAA tournament. For people who have forgotten, they are not eligible. They have a one-year postseason ban from the NCAA. And so because of it, Oklahoma State is fighting to get that overturned. But if they get in, he is going to be a name to watch. Even if they don't get in, he's going to be a name to watch. Let's quickly transition to the Big Ten. Again, story from last year. Three teams, no different than in the Big East, that were at the top of the conference. Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Maryland all finish atop the conference, which is kind of crazy to think about because Maryland might be one of the worst teams in the league this year, but they had the point guard, Anthony Cowan. They had Jalen Smith, who I believe went number 10 overall in this most recent draft to the Phoenix Suns, uh, and they were really good. And that was the year that Maryland was building for. There is no tournament, and now I'm curious to see what happens from there. Michigan State was also peaking with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. They're both gone. Wisconsin, on the other hand, was a team that split the conference championship. They return everybody, okay? So Wisconsin, a really interesting team that essentially returns everybody. And looking ahead to this year, I think Wisconsin is a favorite. They're a pretty consensus top 10 team. Also, Iowa, Luca Garza, back. Only guy, if memory serves me correct, he's the only guy that made any of the All-American teams who returned 24-10. and Last year, he's back. Everyone's going to talk, oh, he's not a great NBA prospect. Was a hell of a college player. He probably is the front runner for most people's national player of the year. I would probably have him number two behind Jared Butler, like I said. Uh, Iowa also returns basically everybody else. Joe Wieskamp, their three-point marksman. Um, Jordan Bohannon, who was their point guard two years ago, was out with injury. This is the best Iowa team in probably 30 years. I mean, they had like B.J. Armstrong back in the late 80s, but it's been a long time since B.J. Armstrong walked through that door. This is probably the best Iowa team that any of us remember. They have a chance to be really good, got to be better on defense. Also in this conference, Illinois. I would argue Illinois at the NBA draft deadline was a bigger winner than any team in college basketball, and here's why. Their starting point guard, Io DeSumo, averaged 17 points per game last year. He was a sophomore. When he came to Illinois, he was perceived to be a one-and-done type guy. Gets to Illinois, has a great freshman year. It wasn't as though he struggled, but felt like he could come back, felt like he had some things to work on, decides to come back for his sophomore year. At the end of last year, it was just a foregone conclusion that he was going to be gone two days before the draft deadline, out of nowhere announces that he's coming back. And that really set the tone for this season because him and a kid named Kofi Coburn, who is a monster down low, uh, probably the best inside-outside combination in college basketball. And Illinois is good enough to get to the Final Four. They're good enough to win a national championship. Now, will they? I don't know. Remember, no one on this roster, I believe, has ever played in an NCAA tournament. They do have a major flaw, which is they're not a great shooting team. But you talk about a team that's really, really, really good heading into this season. It's Illinois. Across the rest of the Big Ten, uh, look, Indiana, Archie Miller, friend of the show, we all know what's at stake. 
I don't think it's quite DEFCON 11 like it is with Shaka Smart at Texas, but you're at Indiana. you got to make the NCAA tournament. I do believe that Indiana was in line to make the tournament last year. If you remember, when I had Archie Miller on this show, we talked a lot about his dust-up with Joe Lenardi, but the bottom line remains is that Indiana was in position to make the NCAA tournament, and I believe they would have made the NCAA tournament. This year, though, there is absolutely no excuses. Like Shaka at Texas, they return everyone of substance, including a kid named Trace Jackson Davis, who I think is maybe one of the most underrated players in the country. He averaged 14-8 and last year. He is a potential first-team All-American type candidate. Uh, Christian Lander, starting freshman point guard there, really, really, really good player. Uh, so, yeah. So Indiana's going to be really good. You got to win big. You got to get to the tournament. You got to win once you get there. And now we found out, by the way, the entire NCAA tournament is in Indiana's backyard of Indianapolis. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Across the rest of the Big Ten, Michigan State, uh, nothing sexy about them, but they just do what Michigan State does, man. Um, Cassius Winston gone. Xavier Tillman gone. They got the next guys ready to go. Got a kid named Aaron Henry. Great name. No big deal. Uh, he's a really talented wing. Joey Hauser, Sam Hauser's brother. Remember, I was talking about Sam Hauser at Virginia. His brother is a transfer at Michigan State. Kind of a stretch four, big player, talented player. Um, and they also have Joshua Langford back. If you remember, two years ago when they made the Final Four, Joshua Langford was their best player, hurts his foot, out for the season. Michigan State still goes to the Final Four. Joshua Langford comes back last year and isn't healthy, doesn't play at all. And now he is finally, hopefully healthy. I heard Tom Izzo say that he wasn't thinking that he would ever play basketball again. So kind of cool that he's back. Listen, Michigan State's going to be a factor in the end. They always are. Around the rest of the Big Ten, Michigan, I think, is really interesting. Jawan Howard thought he had a really good first year at one point. I believe they were even number one in the country before they lost at Louisville. Uh, Their best player was Isaiah Livers, who missed a bunch of time with injuries. They were only 5-5 without him. Really good with him. Was a team that was getting healthy at the right time last year. You would have loved to see him have a chance in the NCAA tournament. Doesn't happen. Isaiah Livers is back, but now you got a bunch of freshmen and you got a bunch of grad transfers trying to mix in Chandy Brown from Wake Forest. Mike Smith from Columbia are the guys to know there. Ohio State, same deal the last two years with Ohio State. Start really great and really bad. With Ohio State, I just need to see more consistency. I think they have the talent. Two really good guards in the backcourt, C.J. Walker, Dwayne Washington. A couple nice players up front, including a kid named E.J. Liddell, who I think is going to be really good for them. Um, And I think that's really it. Minnesota, by the way. I do think Minnesota is a little bit underrated in that conference. Really excited to watch them play. Uh, Let's transition now to the Pac-12. Lot to like in the Pac-12. Uh, last year, if you remember, Oregon was the conference champ. Peyton Pritchard was the guy. Like basically, every he, kid made every single play. It was unbelievable. So Peyton Pritchard was the guy. He is gone. But the other story last year with UCLA, or last year with the Pac-12, is also the story of this year in the Pac-12, and that's UCLA. They won 11 of their last 14 games, and were basically one shot away from winning the Pac-12 regular season title. And I think, as I've said on this show. I believe they are the most underrated team in college basketball coming into this year. I'm not saying they should be number one, but when a team comes a shot away from winning a Power Five conference and returns eight of their seven of their top eight scores, they're a team that should be in the top ten. Rob Douster and I are going to talk about it in a minute. This is a really talented team. 
Best player on the team is a kid named Chris Smith. Big wing, a guy that I think if he had stayed in the draft would have been drafted. He came back for his senior year. He's kind of like Jared Butler in the sense that he's young for his age. He's only, I think, just now turning 21, heading into his senior year. Veteran point guard and Tiger Campbell. He's a redshirt sophomore, took a redshirt year because of injury, but he's back. And they got the big bruisers down low. Jalen uh, Hill, Cody Riley, and the three-point shooting too. Jake Kyman, Johnny Juzang, the Kentucky transfer, Haquez on the wing. I'm just telling you, they got depth, they got versatility, uh, I, they got shooting. I just really, really, really like this team. Uh, they're kind of similar to what I said with Illinois. Nobody really has any NCAA tournament experience except for Chris Smith, so I'm a little hesitant to pick them to go far, but I could see a scenario where they're playing on that final weekend of the season. Across the rest of the league, Oregon, I mentioned no uh, Peyton Pritchard. They bring back a lot of guys, but you guys know my beef with Oregon. Every year they over-recruit. They got too many guys in the rotation, too many guys that want to play, and it always creates headaches. This year it's no different. They got two guards that are really good named Chris Dart Duarte and Anthony Mas Mathis who are back. Um, they have... Uh, big guy in, in Folly Dante, who if you'll remember, I got in a fight with Kyle Tucker about on Twitter, neither here nor there. Um, and a couple really, really talented wing play or uh, big players uh, from the transfer market, Eric Williams and uh, another kid that came from Rutgers. But my concern with them, as always, as I always say, do they over recruit at that school? Do they bring in too many guys? By the way, I stand corrected. It wasn't Anthony Mathis or yeah, it was Anthony Mathis. I take that back. Um, do they recruit too many guys? Do they recruit too many guys? They also have another player named LJ Figueroa who's sitting out, who was St. John's leading scorer, came to Oregon for some reason, may be eligible by the end of this season, but it's like they just got a lot of dudes. So they're worth watching. Uh, I think UCLA is the team to beat. And then the other big team is Arizona State. Uh, Remy Martin, big, uh, big time player, small kid. He's only about 5'10" jitterbug point guard Arizona State was playing really well down the stretch last year really good team really fun team now he is back along with Josh Christopher uh, uh, and they're gonna be a really fun team they're gonna be a really fun team I do worry about some chemistry stuff with them don't want to talk about it too much but you know Josh Christopher is a one and done kid is he there for the right reasons I don't know I'm not saying he won't be a great teammate I'm saying I'm a little bit concerned looking across the rest of the Pac-12 I think some of the interesting teams are as follows uh, Stanford, really interesting. Zaire Williams is the freshman there, if you remember. Five-star player, played at Sierra Canyon, played with B.J. Boston from uh, Kentucky, was a really good player, ends up at Stanford choosing Stanford over North Carolina and Arizona. Talk about a recruiting win for Stanford. They're going to be really good. I think they're a tournament team. I think Utah, surprisingly, is a tournament team. Remember, they beat Kentucky in Vegas last year. I was at that game. Uh, eight of their top nine scores are back from that team. Kid named Timmy Allen, I believe, is an all-conference, maybe Pac-12 player of the year type candidate. And then finally in the Pac-12, uh, USC is going to be an interesting team. They probably have the second most high-profile player in college basketball uh, outside of Cade, uh, second most high-profile freshman outside of Cade Cunningham. That's Evan Mobley. I've been watching Evan Mobley since he was about 14 years old. Seven foot, can move, can pass, can handle, can dunk. I mean, he's a kid that's going to be in the running for the number one overall pick. Uh, but I don't know if you see it. USC is going to be very good, very young in the backcourt, very young on the perimeter. But they do have Evan Mobley. They do have his brother Isaiah Mobley, two really good players. One other team I did not mention in the Pac-12. Arizona. 
Uh, we know the deal with Arizona. We talk about Sean Miller all the time. All I would really say is very simply this. To his credit, to his credit, um, he is a guy that figured out a way to recruit at a high level, even with all of the negative publicity around him. And I bring that up um, because he signed an incredible international class three or four kids who were unranked and then ended up in the top 100. And they got a kid named, I don't even know how to say his name, but his last name is Tubulus, uh, T-U-B-E-L-I-S. I'm just telling you, that staff believes if he was in America, he would have been a top 10, top 15 McDonald's All-American type player and that he's underrated. So that's the Pac-12. Finally, the SEC. Listen, I've talked so much SEC on this show over the course of the last year, year and change. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but... If you remember back to last year, Kentucky won it. They won it going away. They won it Florida, final day of the regular season without Ashton Hagens. And they looked like a team that was going to play potentially to the Final Four beyond. They lose Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey, who are first-round picks. They lose Nick Richards, who are second-round picks. But I still think that they are the team to beat in this league. I've been watching all their stuff that's been televised. I've been watching their pro day. Uh, Olivier Saar, the seven-footer, he is everything that he has been promised to be, okay? Big, athletic, shot blocker. What's been a surprise, though, is Isaiah Jackson, also in uh, down low, about six foot ten, an amazing athlete. People are going crazy over him. You add those guys in with Terrence Clark, with B.J. Boston, two potential all-conference type players. Kentucky's really good again. Kentucky's really, really, really good. Uh, like Duke, like North Carolina, it will come down to point guard play. I got faith in Devin Askew. I got faith in Davion Mintz. <laughs> I think they're going to be really good again this year. And the bottom line is, you can say whatever you want about John Calipari. Quote, unquote, only one national championship. Guy has him in competition every year. Has him in the Elite Eight, Final Four, whatever. Um, rest of the league, Tennessee, really good. Rob Dowster and I are actually going to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about Tennessee when he comes to join me here in about two or three minutes. Uh, but Tennessee's they're legit, man. We just had Rick Barnes on the show, as I mentioned up top. Hope he's okay. Uh, tested positive for COVID, all that good stuff. But assuming he's fine, that's number one, no doubt about it. Um, they're really good. John Fulkerson was awesome late. Eve Pons actually made my third team All-American list. I'll post my All-American list on the Aaron Torres Pod Instagram page. Uh, and they also have the freshmen, Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson is the guy that's getting a lot of love right now, but they're just going to be really good. And they're going to be a team and I'll get into all these teams in the, in the sec, but big athletic, versatile, whatever also should mention, by the way, Santiago Viscovi, their point guard, great story. Who was, he was from Uruguay is from Uruguay landed in January, had to start from day one. And I thought actually held up pretty well over the course of the season. Rest of the SEC, Bama. Talked a lot about Bama. I think they might be the most exciting team in college basketball this year. Javon Quinterly, uh, point guard, taking over for Kyra Lewis. And if you remember last year, Alabama played about as fast and as fun as anybody in the country, took the most three-point attempts, third in scoring. Well, here's the crazy part. They have personnel better suited for that style this year than they did last year. Along with Javon Quinterly, uh, Josh Primo, a five-star recruit, John Petty, I know the jokes, he's been in college forever, but he is back for a final season, I think, hope, we'll see. By technicality, he could come back next year because everybody got an extra year of eligibility. Uh, Herb Jones is back. 
Uh, they got a very good grad transfer named Jordan Bruner from Yale. I just think they're going to be fast and they're going to be fun. I'll tell you this. They open at the Maui Invitational, which isn't in Maui this year, uh, and they're going to be a really fun team to watch to start the season. Uh, wrapping up on the SEC, Arkansas talked about them a ton. Head coach Musson like their personnel, like um, you know Vance Jackson, the transfer, Justin Smith, the transfer, Moses Moody, the freshman, and I'll just tell you, like that staff is like, dude, we got talent. Like, like I don't know if it's going to come together, but the talent is there. They actually had an open scrimmage which was televised, and the fans were going crazy about how much different this team looks. They're going to be really exciting. Last team I really want to focus on in the SEC is LSU. They're another one. When you put them on a court, when they walk in a gym, they're going to be able to match up with anybody. They are going They are going to be athletic. They're going to be long. And unlike some teams in this conference, like as much as I love Arkansas, as much as I love Bama, as much as I love Kentucky, LSU returns some guys now that have been through the wars. Javante Smart is back. Um, Darius Days is back. On and on and on down the list. And you add in three high-level transfers, Josh LeBanc from Georgetown, uh, Sharif O'Neal from US, UCLA, excuse me, and Brian Penn, Brian Penn Johnson from Washington, they're going to walk in the gym. They're going to look like they can play with anybody and say what you want about Will Wade. I say it all the time. The dude, however he gets his guys to campus, once he gets there, they're really successful. Uh, we'll wrap up here and just say this. Some other teams to watch from the other conferences. Gonzaga's obviously won. Uh, number one in the country, WCC. We're going to find out how good they are early. Open with Kansas, play Auburn, um, then go in the following weeks to play Baylor, assuming Baylor's good to play. I believe they were supposed to play Tennessee. We'll see what happens with that game. But you look at Gonzaga. They have the goods to win it all. Uh, Corey Kispert, Joel, aye, aye, and Jalen Suggs on the perimeter. Uh, Drew Timmy down low. He's getting a little too much hype. Like every college basketball writer is like, oh, this is my breakout player, Drew Timmy. Really good. Let's pump the brakes. He'll be fine. Um, outside of that, I'll tell you this, AAC worth watching. Houston's going to be good as always. I think Memphis is going to be good. You know, I'll criticize Penny Hardaway if it's warranted, but I think he's got a good team. I think he's got a talented team and I think they'll be really good this year to all the, uh, loyal Chicago and central Connecticut fans. I'm sorry. I couldn't get to all 360 teams, but I think I did as about as good a job as I could, uh, wrapping up college basketball there. So with that said, you know, let me get out of here for a minute. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in Rob Douster. Rob Douster is, I think, as good as anybody at talking college basketball, period, point blank, end of story. The kid is incredible kid. He's like my age, but kid is incredible. He knows these teams. He does his homework. He's not one of these guys that only watches Duke and Kentucky and Carolina. He'll tell you about Tennessee. He'll tell you about Bama. He'll tell you about Iowa State. Like, he knows the sport um, and we talk a lot about, about a lot of different stuff. We talk about his new venture, which is, again, uh, a podcast network that's college basketball themed. Uh, so all the major programs are represented, Duke, Memphis, Kentucky, Kansas, etc. And then we talk about the season. He's really high on Tennessee. I'm really high on Texas Tech. Uh, we talk about Kentucky on and on and on and on and on. Before we get to Rob Dowster, just want to remind you, please. Oh, and by the way, back end, I will come back, give you my final four national championship picks. But before we get out of here, do want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Uh, make sure you're following on social media 
at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, where I will post my All-American teams, all that good stuff. And finally, uh, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I will be back on the back end to give my final four national championship picks. But first, here is Rob Douster. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, my guy. He is probably the guy I lean on more than anybody when it comes to college hoops. Uh, and we're like 24 hours here from the start of the season, formerly of NBC Sports. He is now the founder, creator, uh, LLC holder of the Field of 68 <laughs> Podcast Network. Rob Douster, what's up, man? What's going on, Aaron? How we doing, man? I can't, I can't wait. 24 hours away. One more day. One more day. We just got to get there. We got to get, got to get game started. People have to see the action happening. We got to see players on the court. And once that happens, I feel like everyone's going to kind of take a deep breath and relax and we'll be ready to, uh, to get this thing going, man. But I'm, I'm, I'm fired. I could not be more excited for basketball. You want to know how excited I am? And I'm sorry I'm that sorry. I'm taking over your pod. I'm no, sorry. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I was going to ask you about your new media this. company, but if you want to go in a different direction, that's fine, man. We, we can get it. I've talked about that so but we can get into that. that right, I'm, cool. I'm bored with that by now. So the, the, the Chet Holmgren, uh, Amani Bates game. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you saw that. It was like a, it was like a staged uh, matchup between an AEU program and a fake prep school. And yeah. I was so locked in. Oh, I was yeah. so locked in on that matchup. And, and it's just because I'm starved for basketball right now. I need it. I need it in my life. I need it back. I got the shakes. It's like, you know how when you, when you go on like that, when you go off coffee, like you stop drinking coffee for, for a week or whatever, when you're at like four or five cups a day, and then you just get those headaches and you, and, and, and you just feel bad, right? As your body is trying to detox of all the caffeine. That's what I've been like for the last, oh, I don't know, eight months dealing with our college basketball, 24 hours away. That's all we need. See, I thought hours. you were going to go with the, the post-Vegas. You've been drinking for four days straight. You're in the <laughs> airport, and you think one Jamba Juice is going to make up for uh, four days of ruining your body. But, yeah, yes. Right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it right there. <laughs> it has been – so it has been a long time without college hoops, and, and I do want to get into the season. Before we start, though, dude, I, I mentioned it, and, um, you know, I, I really – I just want to say it uh, for people who don't know, Rob, um, last time we spoke, you had just left NBC sports and in the last probably two and a half, three months, you put together a college basketball centric podcast network called the field of 68 podcast with a lot of individualized team podcasts. Uh, Wayne Turner's hosting one from Kentucky, Jason Frazier, the former Villanova great at Villanova, Patrick Young at Florida, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, apparently you're sick of talking about it, but I'm going to make you talk about it one more time. Um, where did the vision come from? And then for people who are college hoops nuts, I mean, tell us about how we can get involved, how we can listen, what your, uh, what your network and your company is offering, because it's uh, an incredible thing for college basketball fans. I mean, I think, you know, as well as I do, Aaron, that it, it feels like all of the mainstream media companies have kind of gone away from covering college basketball because it doesn't quite have the national appeal and the national storylines of the NFL or the NBA or even college football to a point, um, unless you're talking about Zion Williamson or you're talking about Trey young, you know, you, it's really kind of like a localized thing. 
but it doesn't mean that those, those markets where college basketball matters more than anything else are any less passionate than they were five, 10, 15, whatever, however many years ago, you know, in Lexington, Kentucky basketball is still King in Louisville, Louisville basketball is still mostly King. It's also a little bit of Kentucky there as well, but like Indiana, it matters more than anything else in North Carolina. It matters more than anything else. So I tried to think of a way that I can target those specific audiences and uh, it just, you know, a, a podcast network seemed like the kind of fit, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if this necessarily exists. If it does, it's not a, enough of a presence that I'm actually paying attention to it all that much. And I just figured this was the best way to tap into those local markets. And, and it was an audience that was underserved. So um, I, I just, you know, I, I have, I got a little bit of a buyout money. I, I got this deal with, uh, with, with a gambling company to help produce content. So I have like a window where I can kind of take one season throw my all into it and see what I can figure out. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm confident in it. We have a lot of great creators. Uh, our, our hosts are big names. Uh, people are having fun with it. Like you mentioned Patrick Young. Uh, he's in lockdown. He's playing professionally in Greece right now. And he's in lockdown. He can't leave his apartment. So all wow. he's doing is just like recording podcasts, creating content. We did it. We, so he told the story, right? And this is, this is a little off topic, but he told the story about how the most embarrassing moment he had playing basketball was when it was like two minutes left of an SEC tournament title game in Atlanta against, I think it was Kentucky. And they played on the big board, a video of him singing chicken fried by, uh, by Zach yeah. Brown. Cause he did it at like some random little media thing. And so we got him to tell that story and in his hotel room, in, in or in his uh, apartment in Greece, drinking a cold beer on a Friday night, singing "Chicken Fried" by Zach Brown, and so like it's, that's that's just what we're trying to do, man. I, I feel like college basketball fans are an underserved market. We got a lot of guys that are trying to have fun putting together content, and uh, you know we'll we'll see how this thing goes, Torres. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know what? At least I gave it a shot, right? No, shoot your shot, and I, I agree 100%, and it's funny because – By the you way, know, you just said shoot your shot, so you, you LLC holder, right? You know what my LLC is called? Shoot your shot productions. I only knew that because I saw it in your Twitter bio, and I didn't know if you were just <laughs> like a quirky, interesting, like just trying to be clever, but nope. uh, I figured I'd bring it up, and if, if that was what it really was, then you would reference it. But no, man, you know, I agree, and it's crazy because, you know, we've been doing this a long time, and yes, the – you know, I think – College basketball in the mainstream, as far as a national talking point, is a little um, – it isn't the NFL or the NBA. But I also – I felt like this offseason more than ever, it really struck me that individually schools and programs care about their teams as much as they ever have. I mean, I just remember Alabama getting, uh, you know, transfer news or a kid reclassifying or whatever, and their fan base going crazy. Arkansas, UConn. Of course, all the schools that you mentioned, North Carolina, Duke, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville, whatever. So I agree. Um, I think it's an underserved market. I think it's a fun sport. I think, you know, the more that I interact with people, the more that I realize that people do still care about this sport. And so I'm excited to see the network continue to grow. And, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I mean, obviously most people are probably following you, but at Rob Douster, at what is it, Field of 68 is the, the media page for Twitter. Is that is that it? Field yeah, it's, it's uh, the Field of 68 on any network, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or – I don't know. Do we have a Facebook page? I don't know if we have a Facebook page. I should probably find out if we have a Facebook page, uh, but like the field of 68.com. Uh, but at anywhere, like it, search on anything. If you search the field of 68, Oh, we, we had someone start a TikTok page for us. There you go. Are you on TikTok? I don't know anything about TikTok. 
other than like the, the you get your information stolen or something. But yeah, uh, yeah, we got a we got a TikTok page. It's one of those where I'm just tapped out on social media. I'm like, dude, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I, I have YouTube. I'm just like, dude, I'm not, I'm not starting over. And it's funny because I said the same thing about Instagram like four years ago. And I was like, dude, why did I not start this Instagram page sooner? Uh, so maybe in four years we'll be talking uh, and I'll regret not having TikTok. But uh, all right, season ahead. And like you said, positive vibes only. Or I said positive vibes only. But the bottom line is, it's been like every sport leading into the season. The conversations have been COVID, cancellation, postponements, games being moved. It happened in the NFL, college football, Major League Baseball. But we are going to get basketball tomorrow on Wednesday. And I'm just going to get – and it, college basketball is so big, 360-whatever team, so I hate doing this to you. But super broad, on the court, the games, they're back. What intrigues you the most about the season ahead? And I know I just gave you the most vague possible question I could, uh, which is probably impossible to answer. So. Well, the thing I think I'm most excited about is the fact that the best teams in the country this year are going to be teams where, like, we actually know – who these guys are, right? Like if you're a college basketball fan, you know who Jared Butler is. If you're a college basketball fan, you know that Colin Gillespie and, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl are on Villanova this year. Um, if you're a college basketball fan, you know that Gonzaga's got guys that we've all seen before, whether it's Joel Ayayi or Corey Kispert or uh, Drew Timmy's the guy getting all the hype. So the fact that we actually got some guys coming back from last season, I think matters and it helps and it boosts the profile and it has people where you can actually recognize some of the guys on the floor. I also, I'm excited because it feels like, you know, I know we didn't get Jalen Green and we didn't get Isaiah Todd and we didn't get the Dacian Nick, some of these other big guys, but we actually have some like really exciting freshmen too. Agreed. You know, Kate Cunningham, and I, I think this is going to be my, my cause du jour for the rest of the season, but if Kate Cunningham is the most exciting prospect uh, that, that has come into college basketball, probably since Zion Williamson, like the dude, I, I don't, I hesitate to put his name in the same conversation in the same sentence as this, but like he's going to be the closest thing that we've seen to Luka Doncic at the college basketball level. Like just the way that he's a ball dominant point guard, the way that he could pass the ball. He's a little bit more athletic, uh, but he's so much fun to watch. So and we got to get him eligible, man. That's, 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 that's what we got to start fighting for towards. We got to get Kate. Yeah. Eligible for the tournament. We got to get him eligible. Uh, but I mean, it's just, honestly, the thing that I'm most excited for is, we can finally talk about college basketball games again. I can't wait. I'm so sick of talking about all of the stuff that surrounds the sport, whether it's well, Greg Marshall or COVID, whatever. Like we could talk about the actual games and the actual teams. And I just, I can't, I can't wait for that, man. It's, it's, it's what I love doing. Well, and the worst part is we didn't crown a champion either. And it's still, as best I can tell, the only main sport that didn't crown a champion outside of the spring college sports, which aren't major or mainstream, no disrespect to, women's college softball and, you know, I guess the college world series, whatever, is that it's not as though we got the finality of last season to at least hold us through. As a matter of fact, as I've done my prep over the last few months, it just makes me more and more frustrated as I look at a, a Dayton roster that's still pretty good. And I'm like, it freaking sucks. We didn't get to see whether Obi Toppin was actually good enough to put this team on his back and lead him to a final four. Miles Powell gets signed by the Knicks the other day. He, we didn't get a chance to see him in a tournament, all that stuff. So I agree. I'm with you. I'm excited for the start of the season. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there. Number one team in the country, Gonzaga in the polls. Who's your number one team in the country going into next season, coming into this season, I should say. 
Well, for me, it's Villanova. And it's just because if you look at the way that that roster is built, it's the way that Jay Wright's best teams have always been built. They have veterans. They have a ton of different, uh, different wings. Um, they have a ton of guys that can like play different positions. They have that versatility, that switchability. And offensively, you know, they have Colin Gillespie as a guy who can run the point. He could also do the invert the offense, go into the post. They have Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Their center is a guy that can step out and knock down threes. They're just, they're built the way that you would expect Villanova teams to be built. And the other part of it is that the All-Americans on their team, the guys that are kind of getting that hype heading into the season, are Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, like I just mentioned. The most talented players on that roster are not either of those two guys. It's Justin Moore or Brian Antoine or Caleb Daniels, the kid they got coming in a transfer from Tulane. So that to me screams, okay, yeah, this team's got a chance, a very real chance to win the national title. Now, I think it's close enough that any one of Villanova, Baylor, or Gonzaga is, is the right option or a correct option. You know, I, I don't, it's kind of like splitting hairs, right? You know, like some people love vanilla ice cream. Some people love chocolate ice cream. It's just kind of like whatever, whatever you prefer, whatever you're tasting, whatever you think is a little bit better in the situation. But for me, it's Villanova. No, I actually happen to agree. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned Brian Antoine. He busted up his shoulder the other day. Jay Wright kind of gave a vague, we're a little worried, but I don't, as we record here, I don't think there's any information. We're recording end of the week, so college basketball is still a few days away. When we're recording, it's going to drop on Tuesday. Does that injury concern you at all, or is there enough depth and experience where if he is out an extended period of time, it's okay? Um, I, I mean, it's, it's concerning, man. You never want to see guys that have um, injury history re-aggravate that or have to deal with it again, and – you know, if it is something where it holds him out for an extended period of time, that just, it, it sucks. So I, I feel bad for the kid. Um, I don't know that he would start this year because, I, I, I mean, Justin Turner might have been the most underrated freshman in college basketball this season. And I remember when Caleb Daniels committed to Villanova before he had to sit out, a, a guy on the Tulane staff texted me. I was like, how good is this kid? They're like, he's going to play in the NBA. Wow. And so – I don't even know if, if Anton would start, but not having that option off the bench, not having that, that uh, another piece to give you a different look, not having a guy that could allow you to play, you know, go full small ball, not just having someone in case Justin Moore's having an off night. Like it definitely hurts. I don't think it, it, if he's done for the year, like the worst case scenario, I don't think that it would necessarily change my opinion on them being a national title contender, but if we're dealing with the margins, then yeah, maybe I do like Gonzaga a little bit more if, if Brian Antoine isn't there. Very good. Uh, you mentioned Gonzaga. So every year it's the thing of, oh, you know, come on, Gonzaga, uh, whatever. First of all, they were my pick to win it last year. I know Kansas was number one going into the tournament. Uh, Azubuke's uh, follow shooting and all that stuff concerned me. I don't want to get into breaking down a 2020 bracket that never happened. But I thought Gonzaga was a team to beat last year. They're really good this year. But you know, you, you know we'll get it. I'm sure you get it whenever you put out your preseason top 10 or your preseason All-America. Oh, Gonzaga, they never win anything, da 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 uh, What would you say to the fan that says that, even though I know the stats, five straight Sweet 16s, three Elite Eights, a Final Four, but what would you say to the fan that's like, come on, you guys, you guys in the media, you hype Gonzaga all the time. What would you say to that guy? <laughs> Or girl, for that matter. I mean, I mean, what is there to say? Like, that's just another crazy person on Twitter that has no idea what they're talking about. You know, at, at this point, I think it's fair to say Gonzaga is one of the top five to eight 
basketball programs in the country and the way that they're currently operating. You know, they're, they're losing guys. How about this? This is where the program is right now. They lost Philip Petrushev to the professional ranks, not even the draft, just the pro ranks in Serbia, who was a second-team All-American last year, averaged 17-7, and seven, who was the leading scorer on their team and the leading rebounder. And they're not going to drop off at all. Not only do they have a guy, Drew Timmy, who might end up being better than Philip Petrushev, but they got another guy behind him named Omar Ballo, who was a monster at, I think it was the 2019 U19 uh, uh, Euros, maybe? Maybe it was the United World, whatever. It was. There was some international competition that he played in, and he was an absolute monster. And he is behind the guy that played behind Philip Petrushev. That's how deep they are. They could have a starting backcourt where all three of those guys are drafted in the NBA next year between Jalen yeah. Suggs, Joel Iyayi, and Corey Kispert. They go legitimately like 10 deep. Anybody that says that they're not, they're, they're not legit, that they can't win anything, blah, 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 like they're idiots. Yeah. But like, what else, what else can you say to them? Well, to me, yeah. I, I, all I was going to say is to me, like I, I ran through it and I did something the other day where I tried to figure out what the fatal flaw for each one of my top 25 teams was. So just, you know, something that everyone says, oh, this is why this team is so great. So I was like, well, let me do something where I rank my top 25 and tell you why that team's going to be a mess, right? Maybe something a little different. And um, when I was going through Gonzaga's roster and the way that I thought they would play and the way that I thought their rotations would shake out and the way that I just saw this season happening for them, they are the hardest team in college basketball to pick a hole in. Because they, they have everything that you need. They got a monster in the block in Drew Timmy. They got a guy in Anton Watson that can kind of play that like four role and allow them to play big or allow them to play floor, small, that can be switchable defensively, that can make, that can do all of that stuff, right? They have three awesome guards. One of them is a lead guard that is a like, kind of a, like a pure score attack-minded guy, Jalen Suggs. They have a second one in Joel Ayayi that can play on the point. He can play off the ball. He can play in pick and rolls. He can spot up. He also happens to be 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan and a really good defender, right? They got Corey Kispert, who could have gone to the NBA this year and been a second-round pick as like a 3 and D guy. He's the perfect, like, for, perfect player you want playing that role. And then they have a bench of like three guards that could start anywhere else in, in the WCC and probably anywhere else other than like maybe the top 20 to 25 schools in the country. As we already talked about, they got Umar Ballo coming off the bench. Like They are just – obscenely deep obscenely balanced and as i'm saying this i'm like almost talking myself into saying like yeah maybe you know what i should have them number one of the country well you know what my argument always is is with the gonzaga's overrated crowd i mean we're, we're you know we share opinions as as a living so let's just go with some facts here jalen suggs mcdonald's all-american literally could have gone to any college in the country could had pro options that he turned down Drew Timmy was recruited by everybody, the best of the best in the country. And as you said, Corey Kispert and Joel Ayayi could be on NBA rosters right now. Both probably would have been drafted, you know, early to mid second round, Ayayi late second round. So it's like you're talking about guys that are either NBA prospects or were crazy highly recruited. And I will admit that I had that exact same thought that you did earlier this week. Villanova's been my basically my pick since the season ended. Uh, in March, and I haven't really changed it, but I was looking at Gonzaga the other day. I was like, they are really freaking good, man. Um, and so I like them a lot too. I like them a lot too. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really understand the logic. And the thing I like about Gonzaga too, by the way, Mark Few is not afraid of a little COVID-19. This guy 
his schedule. Um, so we'll find out really quick whether guys like us in the media are overrating them or not. They play Kansas on Thanksgiving, Auburn, uh, Tennessee the following week, Iowa, and I think I'm missing one. Of, oh, Baylor. And they play Baylor. That's five top 25 – well, four top 25 teams in Auburn in the first, like, three weeks of the season. So shout out to Mark Few. I do give him a lot of credit in all seriousness because I think he realizes – I have a team that's good enough to win a national championship. I got to figure out a way to get these games in. And he spent the last two, two and a half months, whatever it is, figuring out a way to get games on the calendar. And at the very least, he's going to keep us entertained in late, uh, late November, early December when we're looking for something to watch. So, Yeah, and I think that there's a reason for that. You know, I, and I, I think it's the same reason that Baylor went out and scheduled as, as uh, strongly as they did. And it's because – when you are at the level that Gonzaga and Baylor and Villanova and all these other power conference schools are at, you can afford the level of testing to give you a, mm-hmm. a, a certain level of certainty of whether or not like you have a guy on the court that may or may not be, 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 um, be contagious or be infectious and, and have, uh, have COVID-19 or have the coronavirus without actually like being asymptomatic or whatever. So um, if you, play against other teams that can afford that level of texting and have that level of certainty whether or not they have players that are sick on the court you minimize the risk that you are putting your team at and when it comes down to it like the difference in who wins the national title this year could really end up being like which team has a bad COVID outbreak right it it really could come down to something as simple as that because if you have to quarantine Let's just say, let's ignore the fact that you can get sick and that can knock you out of shape and that can create all different kinds of problems because that, that, like, that's the obvious concern right there, right? If you have to quarantine because of contact tracing for any amount of time and you have to sit in your dorm room or, or a hotel room or your bedroom or your house, whatever it is, for any amount of time, that takes you out of shape. Like, do you know how easy it is to fall out of the kind of condition that you need to be in to play at the level that these guys play at to win a national title? If you're in your room for a week, and you're not able to get out, like there's only so many push-ups you can do. There's only so many like up-downs or, or, uh, or burpees that you're able to do to try to stay in shape. Like it's just not physically possible to stay in the level of condition that you need to be in to win at the level that you need to win at to hang a banner and win a national title. So that, that could end up being what decides us. Like which team has to shut down everything for 10 days for contact tracing? If it's Gonzaga in the middle of the season, like if that happens in late February, like how can you back them to win a national title if their whole team has to go sit in a room for 10 days. No, I, I think it's fair. I think that, but I also think that's why they're getting in these games early in the season for that exact reason. I think that's the point you're trying to make, but is because th- there's just so many variables that you can't control that it's like, yeah, I might have six games knocked out. I might have this knocked out. Oh, I was supposed to be in this tournament. Okay, that's – you know, so I get why they did it. And I just I, – I actually – and I'm being serious. I respect the hell out of Mark Few because he's like, dude, mm-hmm. if we're playing a season, I'm putting together the toughest schedule I can. I don't care. You know, they go from uh, Spokane to Washington to South Dakota to Indiana. They don't care. They He wants to put together a resume – that will matter in March, that'll be relevant in March. So they'll be in position to get a good seed to compete for a national championship. Last of the big three is Baylor. And I, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but um, I'm, so it's weird. Last year, I was high on Baylor before anybody picked him to go to the final four. Great pick by me. Hate to brag, no big deal. <laughs> but um, this year, I'm a little lower and I love their personnel and they got a good group of kids. You mentioned a kid by the name of Jared Butler, who's my preseason national player of the year. I think he's incredible. 
But they had a kid named Freddie Gillespie who I don't know if he's signed officially yet, but like an NBA team is going to give him a shot. The rim protector. Dallas. He got a, he got a two-way with Dallas. Okay. So he is with the Dallas Mavericks, and obviously that's a smart team that understands his value. But the point I'm trying to make, he is he was their essentially their lone rim protector. He is gone, and then a player who was kind of a post presence for them had to opt out of the season. He essentially retired from basketball because of chronic knee issues. So I love Baylor. I'm not saying they don't deserve to be ranked in the top three, top two, whatever, in the preseason. I do worry six straight games when you're going to have to at some point face a, a Gonzaga, a Villanova, a Tennessee, a Texas Tech, a Kansas, a Kentucky – that they're going to be able to withstand four or five of those games in a row. I don't, I don't want to say it's inconceivable that they win a national championship. I don't think they're on the level of Villanova and Gonzaga. You can tell me I'm wrong, but I think that matters to me. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think that there is legitimate reason to be a little bit concerned by them not quite being at that level because my take on it is – Last year, what made them elite was that their defense was just impenetrable, right? They did two things at, at an utterly elite level last year. It was defend, and it was attack the offensive glass. And Freddie Gillespie played a huge role in both of those things, right? Like, he was a really good offensive rebounder, and he was probably one of the 10 best defensive players in the country, like legitimately one of the 10 best defensive players in the country. And when you lose that, your defense is going to, to take a step back. Like, it's inevitable that your defense is going to take a little bit of a step back. And I don't see I don't see how they can make enough of a jump on the offensive end to kind of balance that out, right? Like if you're also losing a guy that if, – if there are times where your best offense is an offensive rebound, a missed shot and getting an offensive rebound, and you're also losing a guy that was one of your best offensive rebounders, like that's a big blow for the way that you run that team and run that program. Now, um, two things. One – Let's say that instead of having Freddie Gillespie out there, they start playing someone like a Matthew Mayer, who is just like a gunner, and this guy turns out to be like a 12 to 13 point per game score, takes pressure off of Macy Oteague, takes pressure off of Jared Butler. Yeah, maybe they're not elite on the off, uh, defensive end as much anymore, but now they're like top 10 offense and a top 20 defense. Like that's probably good enough to win a national title, be in the conversation for top three, whatever, right? That's certainly within the range of outcomes. Also, from talking with that staff and, and from talking with Scott Drew, they got a guy named, I, I'm, I'm going to hope I get this right. It's Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. I think that's how you pronounce it. Like just, it's easier JTT. to just call him JTT. Yeah. It's easier just yeah. to say that. Like they're really excited about this dude. Like he is, he's six, eight, two crazy athletic roomed with Freddie Gillespie last year. So like he knows what that role is supposed to be. And they think that he can step in and do the things that Freddie did. Now, Freddie was like 6'10 with a 7'6 wingspan, and he probably had like 30 pounds of, of strength on, on JTT. So it's not going to be like an exact fit, an exact replica. You can't just say, oh, yeah, this guy that didn't play last year, he's going to come in and be one of the 10 best players on the defensive end of the country. Like you can't do that. But there are paths to them getting to that level, which is why I think it's fair to rank them in the top three. But if you had to tell me, I had to pick one of those three to be the one that loses in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It would be Baylor is the one that I'm the least confident in out of those three. Now that's not to say that they can't win it. They absolutely can. They're awesome. Uh, but I, I, I think when we're talking about fine margins again, yes. that it, uh, Baylor is the one that I'm worried about the most. 
No, I agree. And to me, they have the most glaring concern, which would be exactly mm-hmm. what we just talked about of those three. Who is, it could be anywhere from four to unranked, a team or two that you just feel like isn't getting enough love. And it's not enough love relative to rankings or preseason rankings, but a team that maybe people aren't talking about that you think could be playing on that final weekend competing with a Baylor Gonzaga Villanova to win a national championship. So you know how you're always all in on Arkansas and you're always all in on Kentucky this year. I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling the Torres card and I'm going Uh-oh. all in on Tennessee. Okay. All in all in on Tennessee. I'm all in on, we'll talk about after, but go ahead with Tennessee. Let's do it. I'm all in on Tennessee. So um, I just, I love the freshmen that they have coming in. Like I, I had, I had someone, uh, so let's just say someone close to the team tell me that Keon Johnson is going to be a top 10 pick. And he is the guy that is like the second most hyped freshman coming in, in, in that program. They got a kid named Jaden Springer. Both of these guys are like six foot five, crazy athletic, can guard up, can guard down, bucket getters. Um, they got John Fulkerson coming back, who at like 6'10", was probably the best big man in the SEC over the course of like the last month of last season. Like he, he was awesome for the last month of the year. And I think he's probably going to be somewhere near that level again heading into next season. They got Eves Ponds, best defender in college basketball, the guy that gives them all kinds of lineup versatility. And then they bring back Santiago Vescovi and, uh, and Josiah Jordan-James, JJJ who are going to be sophomores that, that, that you can realistically expect to take a sophomore jump. Like Biscovi, how about this? He, he came from, he wasn't supposed to, he was supposed to redshirt. They, they were expecting to kind of ease him into college basketball. He landed on a Friday, right? Like maybe a week after Lamont Turner had to, had to stop playing basketball because his shoulder got hurt. Lands on a Friday. He's starting on like a Saturday for a team in the SEC. Now, he turned the ball over like 100 times in, in like 18 games or whatever. Like it, it, was, it was unbelievable how much he turned the ball over. But I think that's going to you – know, you have an offseason in Knoxville. You get used to what Rick Barnes wants to do. Like that number is going to come down. Josiah Jordan-James was a top 15 recruit. Like he's, he's going to get better as you get him in that program and get a little bit of extra time. So combine the fact that their point guard can only get better and they have these two stud freshmen coming in. Their stud freshman last year is going to, in theory, take a sophomore jump. They got the best defender in the country, and they got the guy that was the best big man in the SEC over the course of the last month of last season. You put that all together, and you got a group that can give you all these different lineup looks. You want to go big, you can play Fulgerson at the five with Eves Ponds out there. You want to go small, you can play Eves Ponds at the five. They got a kid named EJ Anasicki that averaged 12 rebounds a game at Stony Brook, who I was told has been just killing in practice. They got another kid named Victor Bailey, a transfer from Oregon, who, by the way, Torres, don't, don't tell anyone, you guys, if you're listening to this, that it stays here. It stays sure. on the Aaron Torres podcast. But he's averaging like 30 points in the two, uh, two inter-squad scrimmages that they've had. So – they're I'll good. You, they are talented. I know somebody who, um, SEC assistant coach, who maybe has Pac-12 ties. He didn't say Victor Bailey was this player. He said Victor Bailey reminds him of this player is Donovan Mitchell. About six four, six five, athletic as hell, jumps out of the gym, all that stuff. So since we're no one else is going to hear this except for us, I have also heard great things about Victor Bailey. Not about that specific situation with the. Um, with the scrimmages, but no, dude, I'll, I'll say this about Tennessee. First of all, I love them. Um, you know, I, I, I remember back to last year and I was saying it then is 
down the stretch, they win at Rupp Arena, all that stuff. But they had two games where they just completely melted down down the stretch um, uh, against South Carolina on the road and against Auburn on the road. But they win those two games. They're probably on the right side of the bubble. And that is, again, as you said, with their starting point guard getting lost for the season injury, new guy coming in uh, in the middle of the season, plus the red shirts, I mean, plus the transfers, plus the freshmen. Um, I'm really high on them. And w- what's incredible about the SEC, um, and I know I'm like a little bit of an SEC homer guy, but like I think it's true, is I think there's really about five or six teams in that league. And I say it all the time. I go on Arkansas radio. How far can we go? Can we go to a Sweet 16? Can we go to a, this? Alabama, can we go to a, this? Whether it's Tennessee, Kentucky, obviously, Arkansas, Alabama, LSU. Those five teams, I don't think that they will walk into a gym all year, and certainly I don't believe there's a team that they'll face in the tournament that when they walk in the gym, they'll be at a physical mismatch against. You know, I had Eric Musselman on this podcast a few weeks ago. He talked about it. He said the size and athleticism in this league is insane, not just with us, but with Tennessee, like you just said, with Alabama, with LSU. And I, I, I just think that's what makes that league interesting to me is it's not just Tennessee. It's like you look at Alabama's roster, you're like, oh, my God, they got some dudes. Arkansas obviously lost Isaiah Joe late, but they got some dudes. Kentucky, obviously, like it's just a really stacked top four, five, six in that league. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been going uphill ever since they went through that run. What was it like? six or seven years ago where they just started actually hiring really, really good coaches. coaches. You got yeah. Bruce Pearl coming in. You got Musk coming in. You got Rick Barnes coming in. Frank Martin came in. So it's, it's, it's paid dividends. Um, you didn't, you didn't mention that, but I think Florida has a chance to actually be really good. Yeah. We have a, on our network, we have a Florida podcast that's hosted by Patrick Young and he had uh, Mike White on there the other day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, he actually, he, he, he kind of challenged – I don't want to say he challenged him, but he, he definitely pressed Mike White on the issue of, like, whether or not this team is going to be pushing the ball as much as you want to see a Mike White team push the ball. And Mike was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're as athletic as we've ever been. And I think part of the reason why they did not play at the pace that we've expected them to play, at least in the last couple of years, because they had Andrew Nemhart at the point. Andrew Nemhart, by the way, former five-star at Gonzaga, could end up getting eligible this year. So – now that they have more athleticism, now that they have more bodies, I think that getting up and down the floor with a whole bunch of five stars on their perimeter, like Scotty Lewis is another guy. Everyone thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. He got put in a situation where he had to play on a team that was going to kind of go like half court possession by possession. And that just didn't work for his style. So um, Florida is another team that I think could end up being really good if it all comes together for him. And I think that if Mike White, is going to do what he said he was going to do on the Patrick Young and the Rowdies podcast brought to you by the Field of 68 Media Network, then they got a chance to be really good. Fantastic. By the way, also Shoot Your Shot Productions. Don't forget that part as well. <laughs> shoot Your Shot Productions, LLC. Don't forget the LLC. LLC, that's how they know you're for real. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> couple teams to let you go. Um, so you, when you said a team that I'm really high on, so I'm crazy about Texas Tech this year. Um, I just think that – Chris Beard, his whole motto is defense, athleticism, switchableness, which isn't even a word. And I look at that team, and the whole team is dudes that are 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", play defense, all that stuff. I don't even think Mac McClung is like even doesn't even matter. For me, I don't remember Mac McClung transferred to Texas Tech. Like I think he's like the sixth best player on that team. Uh, I don't know if they're there day one. 
but that's just a team that I look at, you know, a few years ago, they were a two seed or a three seed. They make the final four. Like I could just see them kind of what I was just saying a minute ago, you know, they go whatever, let's say there's 27 games in the season. They go, you know, 20 and seven and finish third in that big 12 behind Kansas and Baylor. But all of a sudden you start to see the middle of February, late February, it clicks. That's a team that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm with you. But the one thing that I do disagree with you on is that I think Mac McClung is the guy that could end up being the difference maker for them. If you go back and look at the 2018 team, and the 2019 team, yes, they were great defensively, but they had one guy that could just break down a defense when everything kind of gets stale and gets, gets, gets caught up and gets mucked up. In 2018, it was Keenan Evans. In 2019, it was Jarrett Culver. Last year, they didn't really have that guy. They thought it was going to be Kyler Edwards. It wasn't him. They were hoping it was going to be Jamias Ramsey. He kind of turned into a guy that was like a spot-up shooter by the end of the season. He was, he was good at that. He was good at that job, but he couldn't play the role that they needed him to play to be able to do the things that they wanted to do offensively. And now Mack McClung, like, he can absolutely do that. He can break down a defense. He can make things happen off the bounce. Um, the concern with him is – is he is it, one of the shot selection? Like, look, he can break down a defense. He also has never seen a jump shot that he didn't like, right? So part of it is the decision-making. Part of it is, is the shot selection, which part of – I mean, that's mostly just coaching, right? I think Chris Beard can kind of get into him. It's also the defensive side of the ball. Mac McClung at Georgetown was about as good defensively as I would have been if you thrust me into the Big East last year. And okay. I, at least would, I at least would have tried. <laughs> so <laughs> I do think that it's a weird fit. Like putting Mac McClung on the Texas Tech roster is just a weird fit in terms of what we've seen Mac McClung do and what we've seen Texas Tech do. But the things that Mac McClung can do are exactly the things that Texas Tech was missing last season. And the things that Texas Tech preaches and requires their players to do are the things that Mac McClung has always struggled with. So I do think that in a sense, it's kind of like the perfect marriage, right? Like if you can get all of Mac McClung's offensive ability and teach him how to play defense from a program that was missing offensive firepower, but only teaches defense. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. You sold me. You sold me on Mac McClung not being the seventh <laughs> most important player on the team. Uh, all right. Two quick questions to let you out is, um, can't do this without I, – I do have to ask you about Kentucky. And, and here's what I want to ask. So, I don't know if you got a chance to watch their pro day. I know it's a pro day. It's a made-for-a-TV thing. It's for the scouts, whatever. Kind of what you were saying about Tennessee is that, you know, I'm, I'm the Kentucky guy. I get it. I wrote a book, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to be – I, I don't even want to say I'm biased because I've criticized Cal before. I've, I've criticized everything. But it was hard to watch that team with – the way that Isaiah Jackson was moving, the way that, um, uh, you know, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Cameron Fletcher looked good in, a, in that setting, Olivier Saar, where you look at them and it's basically like the whole team outside of Devin Askew and Davion Mintz. So basically they're two point guards. Everybody's about six foot seven to seven one, can move, can whatever. And it was hard not to look at that team and say, that looks like a Final Four type team. It's been a few years since Kentucky got there. Am I making too much of one made for TV, made for NBA scouts uh, exhibition? Or are you, you know, where, where are you at with Kentucky? I, 
I love them. I think that you're exactly right. There are two things that I'm worried about. One, the point guard situation. You know, I'm not convinced that going with a fifth-year grad transfer that was on Creighton's bench and a top 25 prospect that reclassified is necessarily the best options at the point. Now, I, I do think highly of Devin Askew. Uh, I would be more excited about him if he was coming in in his regular freshman year instead of reclassifying. That's always a little bit of a red flag for me uh, with point guards when they reclassify. It's just, I mean, playing college basketball is just a completely different animal from the high school level. And, and to be able to do that at that level as a young freshman is not easy. So that's a little bit of a red flag to me. Same thing, Davion Mitz. Um, the other part of it is that this is like a completely new team. The one guy that they have coming back is, is injured in Keon Brooks. So combine that with the fact that they're not going to get the preseason or the, the, the early scrimmages or like the, the non-conference opponents that they can normally beat up on to try to like figure out their rotation and figure out how they're playing things and make sure how all the pieces fit. And the fact that they didn't really have the typical kind of summer and off season to learn each other and get to know each other, not just from a basketball standpoint, from just from like a human aspect. Um, that's a red flag to me as well. Now, I think the ceiling is unquestionably there. I think that they are going to be just unbelievable on the defensive end. Assuming Keon Brooks gets back, you got Olivia Saar in the middle, you got Brooks, you got, uh, you got, um, you got Terrence Clark and you got BJ Boston who are all just like, crazy athletes crazy long that are going to be able to make kind of all kinds of problems switching like two through four um so I, I just i love them defensively i think the, the the offensive side of the ball probably should get there especially if you're buying uh the point guard stuff all i would say is if you're going to bet this team to win the national title th this is the way to think about it instead of betting them now at 11 to 1 or 12 to 1 or whatever they are wait until they get their kind of sluggish start out of the way and then try to get them at like 20 to one in, sure. in January. Once you get into SEC play and things start to click and they start to figure things out. So that's a long winded, long winded way of saying that I'm very high on them, but I think it's going to be a bumpy road at the start of the season. Crazy stat on them. They don't play. So after they play the opening weekend, they play three games, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Starting December 1st, they play only Power 5, Power 6 teams. They don't play a single Murray State, Appalachian State, South Dakota, whatever. Like, doesn't matter. So that is the part that does concern me a little bit is if you lose two out of three, three out of four, whatever, uh, what does it do to the team? And then you go right into SEC play. It's not easy. So, all right, Rob Douster, Field of 68 Podcast Network, Field of 68 Media, uh, I want to let you go because it's Friday night. You want to get to spend some time with your family and vice versa. Anything that we've missed, anyone that you're excited about, we haven't talked about, that you're cold on, that other people are hot on, anything we have. Yeah, Rob Douster, Field of 68, uh, Media Network, Shoot Your Shot, LLC. Uh, that's it, man, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, like I said, we're, we're here. We've gotten through covid uh, Greg Marshall's on an island somewhere, uh, just counting his cash. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Uh, I appreciate you doing this, man. And, and this will be my sign-off. I absolutely would punch you in the back of the head for $7.75 million Ooh. over the course of the next six years. I would. Oh I'd split – I'd, I'd give you a cut for, you know, just the fact that you let me punch you in the back of the head, but I would do it for $7.75 million. 
There's a lot of people that would do it for free, so I'm not taking that as an insult. Rob Douster, um, uh, Feel the 68 Media, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Everybody, uh, I am back. Big thank you to Rob Douster. So Rob is just awesome and great guy. He has become an incredible friend to me. But more importantly, he's just really good at what he does. Uh, I love having him on. He makes us all smarter. And the two, three, four times a year that I do have him on, I think he drops so much knowledge. And I'm so happy to see him having success with the podcast network. And I think he's going to do really well for himself because he's a really smart guy who's really passionate about the sport of college basketball. So with that said, let's transition. I mentioned I want to give my preseason Final Four. Uh, And before we do, a couple things. First of all, there's going to be one team on here that I think is going to catch a lot of you off guard, and we'll get to it in a minute. I just want to tell you, I have like a weirdly good track record of picking one team in the preseason that's maybe a little bit overlooked, that nobody likes, that ends up being really good. Uh, Last year, I had Baylor in the Final Four in the preseason, um, and uh, no one else had it. And when it happened, uh, everybody was going crazy because they ended up being the number one team in the country. Baylor fans loved me because I was the only one that believed in them in the preseason. I think Scott Drew and I talked about it on this show. But I had Baylor last year. The year before, how about this one? I had Auburn in the Final Four in the preseason. You can find the tweet. It's still there. Sure enough, they make the Final Four. And the year before that, I liked Xavier in the preseason when nobody else really did. That was the year Chris Mack was there. They ended up being a number one seed. So I got a pretty good track record with this. And what I would also say before we get to the picks, uh, really tough year to, 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 to pick these teams. I just think there are just so many teams that have the talent and the depth and the athleticism to get there. I think UCLA is one. Up until we recorded, I had LSU in my Final Four before I talked myself out of it because I think there's going to be a lot of turmoil in that program this year due to things that are frankly out of the players' control. Uh, I love Texas Tech. I think Rob Douster actually talked me a little bit out of Texas Tech when we started talking Mac McClung. Um, But when I look at this season, here are the four teams that I have in the Final Four. Two are really obvious, one is a little obvious, and one is off the radar. And so let's start with the one that's off the radar That's the West Virginia Mountaineers. Um, I really like this team. As I said earlier in the show, Bob Huggins said he believes it's his most talented team since 2010 when they made a Final Four, and I just really like them. They beat the crap out of people. They're impossible to prepare for, and I think when you get those two big guys, Derek Culver and Oscar Shibway back, you get them for a second year, I think it's a game changer. I think they physically dominate people. I think you can't prepare for their physicality if you're not ready for them. I'll tell you a really quick side story is I have a buddy who was supposed to be playing them in the crossover classic event uh, in South Dakota. The event got canceled, but they knew that West Virginia was in their bracket and they could face him. And he pulled up the, the West Virginia tape and he goes, dude, we got no chance at all. And I just think when you get into a tournament setting and all these teams are doing their own thing and living their own whatever, and you get West Virginia in your bracket, that's scary, man. So I like West Virginia to make the Final Four. Second team, I do like Kentucky. And listen, I know everyone, oh my God, Torres, you're such a Kentucky homer. You always pick Kentucky, blah, 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 this and that. First of all, let me say this. Calipari always has them in the mix. Just to make sure I'm not going crazy, I went back and looked it up. 2020, SEC champs could make the Final Four. 2019, um, and I hate to do this to Kentucky fans, but I'm just going to do it. 2019, overtime loss to Auburn, could have gone to the Final Four with P.J. Washington and Tyler Hero. Year before that, P.J. Washington misses a bunch of foul shots, 
Otherwise, they beat Kansas State in the Sweet 16. They're playing Loyola of Chicago to go to the Final Four. And the year before that was De'Aaron Fox. Hits a jumper. Luke May basically hits a buzzer beater. So basically, they are a buzzer beater uh, from a Final Four. They are a shot or two from Auburn, against Auburn from going to a Final Four. And they are a free throw or two from playing Loyola of Chicago to go to the Final Four. Eventually, they're going to break through. And here's the thing. This is the best team that Calipari has had probably since 2015. I talked about them earlier, but I just love the depth of wings and athleticism that they have. I don't know how you're going to score on them when Calipari can throw B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, uh, Jacob Toppin, and Cameron Fletcher at you on the wing. And then you get to the rim, and you got to deal with Isaiah Jackson. you got to deal with Olivier Saar. I think they're going to be physically imposing in a way that's different than West Virginia, but I do think that they are going to be imposing nonetheless. I am in the Final Four. There it is. Next two teams, uh, Gonzaga. I have Gonzaga. I mean... Listen, we crush Gonzaga every year, five straight years coming into last year's NCAA tournament, Sweet 16 or beyond, three Elite Eights, and a national championship game. They are a premier program. You don't have to like it. You don't have to think they're overrated. You don't have to watch them at 10 p.m. when they're playing whoever. They're really good. They got at least four or five NBA guys on that roster and maybe the best backcourt in college basketball with Joel Ayayi, Corey Kispert, and, uh, and Jalen Suggs. And I'll tell you this, they're in it to win a national championship. No one worked harder this offseason to get good games on the schedule than Mark Few. I know somebody in college basketball was telling me Mark Few was calling schools himself. When all these games started to get canceled, when the Orlando bubble got canceled, Mark Few was getting on the phone and calling Bill Self, calling Rick Barnes, calling whoever to make sure that these games get played because he knows he has a national championship caliber team and he's ready to prove it on the court this year. Final team, it's not going to be a surprise. It's Villanova. This is just what they do. Depth, athleticism, can throw bodies at you, can switch. I, I don't know how you keep up with them scoring-wise. And then defensively, I think they're going to be a nightmare for you to guard against. And so, all right, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but I do think my national champion is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And I know, oh my God, they stink. I'll just tell you this. Up until I started recording this podcast, I actually had Villanova winning the championship. Like, I went into this segment thinking Villanova. But the more that I think about it, the more that I just think everything is breaking right for Villanova dating back, or to Gonzaga, excuse me, dating back to last season. Corey Kispert could have gone pro, decides to return. Joel Ayayi could have gone pro, decides to return. Um, Jalen Suggs had professional overseas opportunities and instead decides to play college basketball. Also could have gone to the G League, but chooses college basketball. On and on and on down the list. I think they have athleticism. I think they have toughness. And I just think they are going into this season with a national championship or bust mindset. And I think the mental focus is part of this too, right? Um, you know, the NBA bubble, it was so hard for those teams to be engaged given the circumstances. I think they have so many guys on that team and on that roster that have given so much to be in this position. It's not to say other programs don't. A lot of guys could be somewhere else right now. They came back to Gonzaga to win a national championship. And I'm telling you, Mark Few believes this is a national championship team. And I, I think I just mentioned it, but I'll repeat it. I was talking to somebody in college basketball that was like, dude, Mark Few has been working the phones himself to get big games on the schedule because he believes this might be his best team that he's had. Um, 
you know, when the Orlando bubble busted, he was the one on the phone with Bill Self, with uh, Rick Barnes, with whomever, to make sure that these games were going to get played somehow, somewhere. And I'm just telling you, it's not normal for a head coach to do the scheduling, but Mark Few took it upon himself because his team is that good, because he believes in them that much. And so because of it, I just think, I don't want to call him a team of destiny or nothing like that, but you knock on the door enough times, eventually you're going to break through. And so Gonzaga is my 2021 preseason national champion. And I'm telling you, it's crazy. I had Villanova when I hit play and just talked myself into Gonzaga on air here. So uh, I'm, I'm a crazy lunatic, but you guys already knew that. Uh, let me get out of here. So before we get out of here, we want to make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Uh, also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media uh, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter. And of course, uh, make sure you're following on social on uh, YouTube, all the channels, all that good stuff, because uh, it's going to be a fun season. I should also mention, by the way, worth mentioning, I will have a show on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, so get up early, find the Torres Podcast. It's going to be awesome, like it always is. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the opening day of basketball. Those are my official picks. I'll look like an idiot, but shout out to Torrent Craig, who just signed a new contract, by the way, Tori Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back Thanksgiving morning talking college football and college hoops. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.